0: Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. Today, my co-host is the illustrious Mr. Ryan Bell. Ryan, how are you doing today? Hey, Todd,
1: I am doing okay. Um, I got a question for you. Do you know what the worst part about
0: Friday is? The worst part about Friday maybe is days that aren't Friday, unless it's Saturday or Sunday. No, I do not. What's the worst?
1: Well, part well, you're that? close. When you re- it's when you realize it's only Thursday.
0: <laughs> Man, that can happen sometimes. I see what worse when you realize it's only Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have not had that happen to me before, but <laughs> <laughs> well, good way to start things. So, shall we dive right into our show today? I'm excited yes, about the Let's show. do it. Okay. Well, safety and positive reinforcement are two terms that you don't regularly hear used together. But today, our spotlighted guest is Bill Sims Jr., president of the Bill Sims Company, and he uses those terms together all the time. In fact, he says they go together as well as green beans and ice cream. So you may be wondering what that's all about. Um, I may be a little bit, too, although I've had a sneak peek, so I have a pretty good idea. Um, But let's go ahead and get right into our interview with Bill Sims, president of the Bill Sims Company and author of Green Beans and Ice Cream, The Remarkable Power of Positive Reinforcement. And I've got the book right here. You can see that. And right achieved. here in the book, it says, this is a must read if you're serious about achieving sustainable behavior change with your team. So I love that. So Bill is a world-renowned author, consultant, patent holder, and speaker. And one of his top keynotes is titled, Beyond Zero, Why Zero Injuries Is Not The Goal. Um, Bill. Welcome to Construction Disruption. Um, this is a show where we work to uncover the future of design and building, and we're excited to have you today.
2: Hey, guys. Good to be with you, and happy Friday from uh, Columbia, South Carolina. We uh, are, are celebrating the fact that Hurricane Idelia has uh, come and gone, and uh, I dare you to come back, Adelia. Um, just a little <laughs> humor there. Beautiful fall-like weather today. Uh, in, in the early part of September, so uh, glad to be with y'all, and and looking forward to our chat.
0: So, what did you get from Idalia there in Columbia? Just heavy rain, and went a little bit of wind, or
2: yeah, a little bit of wind. Um, you know, nice rain. The grass is all watered and super green. So uh, that means I got to cut it uh, this weekend. But that's that's life, you know, in the big city. So uh, not not much damage here. We're certainly very fortunate, and you know, our hearts go out to the folks that have more sustained damage I, I have a buddy that 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 told me lifelong buddy and his name get it believe it or not is Steve Irwin and uh Steve says, yeah I'm gonna move down there to that uh, that that curve that elbow bend uh, Crystal River Florida because yeah. they haven't had a hurricane in over 100 years just got moved down there just had to evacuate for a hurricane so there you go Steve
0: <laughs> they, they may not invite Steve back. I don't know.
2: <laughs> could be, could be. I'm worried about him. Yep.
0: maybe excommunicated. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: well, so let's kind of delve into things. So safety and positive reinforcement going together like green beans and ice cream. Tell us what that's all about.
2: Absolutely happy to do that. Well, you know, first off, I, I have to I'll, when I'm when I'm on a plane traveling to, to speak. Uh, usually the conversation goes, the person next to you, well, what do you do? What do you do? And I always set it up for people, you know, Hey, I, I, I am the global subject matter expert for green beans and ice cream. And that takes just a minute for them. Okay. Yeah. And I say the way I know I'm the global subject matter expert is that I made it up and therefore I'm the only guy who understands it. Right. Um, and and so the idea behind the book and my keynote speech um, where they come together is that we're really, really good telling our kids and our employees when they do something wrong. Maybe, particularly in safety, you know, we are super good at it in safety, right? Mm-hmm. Put your safety glasses on. Get that hard hat on now. You hear me? But maybe where we need help as leaders is telling people what they did right for a change. And mom figured that out. Son, if you eat your green beans, you can have ice cream, right? Uh, poor poor lady had no clue what she was unleashing on the world. You poor people, right? A motivational speaker, author, all that good stuff. And <laughs> it's when, we, when we focus on the positive in our in in those around us and in ourselves, it it allows us. To grow and blossom at a much faster rate of speed than if all we do is harp on the negative, either in our own psyche, um, and, and, and or in, in those around us. So that's the premise, the baseline premise. It's backed up by, by 100 years of behavioral science research. So it's not something I just, you know, dreamed up one day. Where, where we apply that to safety is often, you know, if you think about safety, <clears throat> There are a lot of green beans and ice cream in safety. Um, doing things the safe way is inherently a struggle. It takes longer. It interferes with production. My foreman, my superintendent are all after me to get this job done on time. We're behind. We're behind. But now i got to do all this fall protection, got to hang these tools, got this, got So there's a whole lot of green beans you got to eat, right? Mm-hmm. Before you get to the safety, which in most workers' minds may or may not ever occur. So um, so how can we use positive reinforcement in the construction world on a job site to make a real difference in safety outcomes, productivity, all the above? And the answer is you can. We have been there, done that, got the T-shirt about a thousand times.
0: So I'm curious. I mean, you could have applied positive reinforcement and aspects of it to all kinds of performance type things. Was there anything that caused you to zero in on safety in particular?
2: Just you, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. Um, mm-hmm. I got, I fell into this world um, in the early '80s, working with initially the textile firms here in South Carolina before all our jobs got moved offshore. Don't get me started on that. That'll be a whole nother podcast. And um, and you know what? What what I observed in the early '80s is that the way that most safety directors went about reinforcing behavior was pretty much the same. Hey guys, if y'all can go a month without a single recordable injury on your team, you're gonna get a Carhartt jacket, a t-shirt, a, what, a ball cap, whatever. And it, it, it occurred to me there had to be a better way. And so I began experimenting with different ways to positively reinforce safe behaviors like, hey, instead of lagging indicator stuff, which causes people to add injuries, right? Why don't we reinforce people for reporting a near miss or near hit event or an unsafe condition? Hey, you just spotted those, that rebar over there. It needs to be capped. Good job. Here you go. Hmm. Um, here's a safety buck. I am, yes, for what it's worth, the federal trademark holder for the term safety bucks and was for over 30 years till I, I retired it, right? And there's another story I used to be the federal trademark holder for a little term called Starbucks uh, till this big coffee company changed <laughs> my mind. <laughs> and we can't go into that one too deep. I hate to tell you that, but uh but anyway, uh, but but it's all about telling people telling people what they did right, right? Makes a difference.
0: So you could have just made them be Saint Arbucks, that's what I call them <laughs> and, and run the whole Starbucks <laughs> thing. Interesting. So, well, So so you mentioned it, since the early 80s, you've been helping companies improve performance, increase their bottom lines, be more safe. Can you tell us about some of the companies you've worked with or industries you've worked in and how you've helped them?
2: Sure, yeah. So worked extensively with construction, manufacturing, maritime shipping. I always said I want to create systems that help companies positively reinforce safe behaviors and i have a patent in how you do that and i and i want to build it to work in the construction industry because manufacturing's easy right stable workforce relatively speaking construction's chaos you know this this mm-hmm. month we got 23 job sites next month 38 the next month 22 if i can make it work in construction i can make it anywhere right so um And and one of the big behavioral consultants, I'll leave him nameless because I don't like nasty Graham letters from attorneys, had stood up and said in the early 80s, you can't run behavior-based safety in a construction environment. It's too chaotic. And I'm like, "Mm, that's good. Tell me I can't do it. I'll go figure out a way to do it because I'm hard-headed. And today our biggest book of business is, and clients, is is construction. Um, So, you know, uh, but all sorts of industries, names that you would recognize, Ford, General Motors, Disney, DuPont, um, Boeing, um, these are all companies that we've touched in one or more ways. Um, and, and so, you know, I'd, I'd say early 80s, that's before we had this thing called the Internet, but we did have this thing called OSHA, which was a big deal. Um, I, I, I helped a lot of companies moved from lagging indicator reward reinforcer systems that cause injury hiding to reinforcing safe behaviors on the spot. And that was, a am proud to say, a real game changer because before I, c- I came along, every safety director in Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, was basically rewarding people to, for lagging indicators, going a period of time without an injury, and we all know, if we're honest, that produces only one true change in behavior. Here it is. What gets reported? Yeah. Right. Yeah. The underlying at-risk behaviors are still there. And so um, I began working with um, uh, fluor construction, um, early, uh, early 80s, late early 90s in developing and pioneering, well, how can we move away from the lagging indicator stuff and start reinforcing on the spot what these guys are doing right every day? Hey, you had your fall protection on. You intervened to keep a buddy safe. You stopped the job over a safety concern. How do we do that, right? And uh, and so that was kind of, I guess, my laboratory, if you will, building more than a thousand of these reward recognition Incentive systems, although I, I don't like the word incentives, I, 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 I prefer different words. Uh, and and we had great success. Not all the time. You know, I've seen it fail too, right? Um, people can screw up anything, myself included. Uh, but more often than not, uh, you know, it, it, it was learning um, that what really motivates people is not the T-shirt, not the ball cap. That's actually statistically one of the worst motivators out there is something very different um, is positive reinforcement. What is that? And, and that my life has been devoted to studying that one thing and trying to master it and understand it and help others to understand it with greater clarity and precision.
0: That's good stuff. And. So you reminded me, and I don't know why you reminded me of this, but I did forget to tell our audience that we do have challenge words this episode, and most of our audience members know what that is, but each of us have a word that we've been challenged to work into the conversation. The end will tell whether we were successful out there or not. So, Bill, you've alluded to it a couple of times already, how you know, the, the ball cap and the Carhartt. I mean, so, so years ago there was a ad commercial, what would you do for a Klondike bar? Okay. And so I always thought, gosh, if I give people Klondike bars, my productivity will go up and that really didn't work. We all got fatter. (laughs) Um, But, but kind of curious, you know, tell us a little bit more about, you know, what those, what those ideas are there out there that, a lot of companies try and really they don't work. And um, you've touched on some good stuff already about, you know, you can cause people to hide injuries with lagging indicator reporting and things like that. But I would love to hear a little bit more
2: about, you know, why that ball cap doesn't work. Yeah. I'm I'm going to give you that, but I'm going to take a little opportunity here to be the first guy to use my challenge word. Get ready, bro. Here it comes. So I I wanna just share a a absolutely true story. Uh, This comes from Jerry Howell, a great safety leader. Jerry is retired by now, I'm sure, uh, if he's still with us. And Jerry had about 2000 employees in Northeastern Alabama, up near Gadsden. And it was a poultry processing plant. Now, if you've ever been in a chicken killing plant, it is an unusual situation, right? I've been into some interesting places. And I can tell a lot of stories. And after the tour of the chicken killing plant, you know, Jerry and I talked a little bit about his strategy for managing safe behavior. And he said, well, he says, the plant manager here made me do something I didn't want to do, but he thought it worked. We did safety bingo. Now, if you've never done safety bingo, uh, I think it's pretty, I hope it's dead by now. But it was blowing and going back in the 80s and 90s. Every employee got a little card with bingo numbers, just like the bingo game. And every day without a reported injury, no reportables, no lost times, we put a, pull a random number, post it up. Today it's 33 to March 52. And the employees are in theory taking their bingo cards and blacking out the numbers. And if they can get five in a row blacked out in one direction, they win whatever's in the jackpot. Oh yeah. And we start with a cash jackpot of $500, and we bump it up $10 a day. So the jackpot goes up, up, up. The longer we we don't report injuries, so you see the pressure to not report. Nobody wants to blow it for the team. And when somebody gets those five in a row, boom, they win what's in the jackpot, right? Yeah. And there are multiple variations of that. I have I have disliked that system from the first time I heard about it, right, and preached against it. And Jerry said, Bill, he said, Yeah, he says, I hate safety bingo. He said, here's why. He said, after we drew our number, he says, and we gave out the five hundred dollars cash. We immediately had six injuries reported that were being hidden until we hit the jackpot. So there's the domino effect of lagging indicator incentives that oh, as, wow. as you as you take them away. And he said, I came over to the um to to the bingo station and there was a young lady that had worked for us single mom 21 two kids and she's crying she's weeping and i said what's wrong she says i've played this stupid game for 6 months and i've never ever won anything i am done with it and she rips up her bingo card he says i'll tell you what i appreciate your 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 interest in safety, here's a hundred bucks off my out of my wallet, right? Right or wrong. I could, I could we could spend some time debating whether he should or shouldn't have done that. But um, oh and and let me just say, you know, he looked at her and he said, Mademoiselle, I appreciate your commitment to safety. There you go. There's my challenge word. I was waiting for it. Um she was French. Who knew they had that in Alabama, right? Um, <laughs> French Alabamian. Listen, they're kind of those French Canadians, so you know, be careful when you go down there. Um, now, you know what what we learned from that is multiple lessons about positive reinforcement: what does and doesn't work. Number one, games of chance typically do not work; lotteries do not work for multiple reasons. I know I've tried them all, and you know I've seen them fail and succeed. Um, and if you're writing this down, you can come back and ask me later if you care about knowing why and you want to dig deeper. Um, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the dynamics of positive reinforcement to be most effective. It must be positive, not negative. It must be immediate within 10 seconds of the behavior or less, like training a horse. And it must be certain. We have to administer it every single time. So many companies fail that, that test in multiple ways with what they do. Um, but you asked me about. T-shirts and ball caps. So, the Incentive Federation did a, um, a white paper study of major companies. These are, you know, 500 employees, a thousand employees, and they asked two very simple questions. <clears throat> and this is in my book. If if they get my book, crass commercial plug for book, go to GreenBeanBook.com. Get it there, not Amazon. Get a better deal. Um, they asked. Large companies, two questions. What incentive tools do you use, number one? Number two, do you think they're effective? Yes or no? So do you use it? Does it work, right? Now, my only beef with this study is that they failed to include positive reinforcement as one of the tools. They just didn't put it in. Um, and they should have. Um, I did a later study that validates why positive reinforcement wins, and that's yet a longer discussion. But here's what they found. They looked at about six types of award gifts that companies might use. It could be logoed swag, company swag gifts, which people widely believe to be Hey, people love that stuff. They eat it up. <laughs> uh, and what are you smoking, dude? I don't know, but I got the facts to say you're wrong. And uh, and, and then they looked at employee of the month programs. You know where you get a little certificate. Hey, you're employee of the month, Todd and Ryan. And uh, and 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 they looked at that. And they looked at cash. And they looked at gift cards. And they looked at physical gifts without a logo. Yeti coolers, Apple Watches, right? And they asked those two questions. And when they crunched the data, here's what they found. Number one was gift cards. About 55% of companies found them to be effective. And about 52% used them. Uh-huh. So high level of effectiveness. Here's how, how how many of us use them. And here's how many think it works. When they went to cash, similar results. When they went to physical gift items, you know, where people get a choice from a selection, Yeti cooler, Apple watch, fish and pole, whatever, similar high results. So the three strongest contenders were gift cards, number one, cash, number two, because cash is king. According to a lot of people, it actually isn't. But, you know, we we can get into that deeper if you want to. And then, you know, physical tangible gifts. Now, um, those are the three high high scores. The number one lowest score in the research was company logoed gifts. Woohoo! And not only, and, and less than ten percent of the people thought that a logoed gift motivated real behavior change. These are the same people that are people love that stuff. And and, and not only did fourteen percent use it. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, 14% thought they were effective. That's the number I'm looking for. 14% mm-hmm. said stuff with a logo is effective, but 96% used it. Used it. And I'm like, hello, why is the thing that works the least the thing we use the most, right? So it statistically does not work. Now, I can tell you I, I, I have solved after much um You know, much pondering. I finally cracked the code. Why is it that managers believe, man, people love that logo stuff. They eat it up. I I think I know why. But you tell me. I've prattled on a bit here. Are y'all awake over there? Come on, guys. I don't know why people think it works. I, I mean, I, I
0: guess one of the reasons is you give that stuff away, thinking, "Hey, I'll get some advertising benefit out of it, if nothing else." Um, whether it really means anything to the team member or not, I, I don't know. It's interesting. My there,
1: my guess was going to be that it was the easiest. It's the easiest hmm. incentive that may be on hand already for you.
2: So you're you're you know those are excellent you know shots at it. Um, And again, my book, the chapter, Not Another Ball Cap, has all this in it and breaks it down really nicely, very quickly. So here's what we know from the research. Um, In in, in 100 years of research, the number one driver of employee safety engagement, performance improvement, quality productivity is not a T-shirt, a ball cap, a pizza party, nor is it a bigger 401k plan or even working from home. It's none of those things. The single biggest driver of employee morale engagement, mental health, is when my boss looks me in the eye and sincerely says, Bill, here's what you did for safety. You reported that near hit. You capped the rebar, and here's why that matters. You you ha- you let one, one of your coworkers go home safely tonight. That need for positive feedback, positive reinforcement is the number one driver In any research study you look at, paychecks are only number eight, right? Never have gotten higher than eight in in 30 years. And so, what actually happens is something fascinating. It's what we call in behavioral science accidental pairing, right? Accidental pairing is when you begin to believe that something is caused by something different than what it really caused it. It's accidental pairing. And, um, And so when I first stumbled across this accidental pairing idea, I thought, hey, that's cool. And then I understood where it was happening. When you go to a construction site and you get a box of T-shirts that come in or a box of ball caps that come in and you're the safety guy, you ain't got time to hand out a thousand ball caps. You might do some, but you know what you're going to do? You're going to get all your foremen in the room in the safety trailer. All right, Joe. Here's your 52 ball caps, your 52 Carhartt jackets, your 52 shirts. And Mr. Supervisor Foreman, if he's worth his salt, is going to go out there on that project. He's going to hand them out to his guys, probably smile, shake their hand, and say, thank you. And it is that, my friends, that they value. They could care less about the ball cap. It is the personal interaction with their boss. And maybe, just maybe, I'll give you one there is something we call trophy value that can have value. So if I'm at a big project, a nuclear plant, you know, and we have our topping out ceremony and they make a commemorative shirt about that, that's got trophy value. Yeah, that has some value, but 12 years of research with my construction clients, 96% of the workers would rather have an Apple Watch or a Yeti cooler than something with a company logo. There you go.
0: So if I uh, save a guy by saying, hey, you're standing next to a rattlesnake, and uh, it's better to come and thank me for it ding, than ding, give me a ding, T-shirt. Ding, ding. makes sense. Okay. Okay, I got it. I'm getting it down. Okay, so I'm curious. Are you seeing any generational differences? I mean, you know, we talk a lot about that in business anymore. Um, are you seeing that, you know, younger generations are responding better to different things or, or just differently to different things?
2: You know, absolutely. I do. I had a wonderful privilege of having my oldest daughter, uh, Daphne Sims, who is a CPA, fully functional adult, non-chemically dependent, and I'm proud to be part of that equation along with her mother. Um, and, and she co-presented with me and we do a session on called Boomers, that's me, versus Millennials Bridging the Great Divide, Right. And that's a huge honor to be on stage with my daughter. Um, And and there are a lot of differences in the generations, um, boomers versus millennials. And now we have the zillennials, Gen Z, that are coming on board, and they're even different from the millennials, right? So a lot of differences in what motivates them and what matters. But um, what we know is that the younger generations – They were raised for the most part. Let's just take millennials because it's easier there. So most millennials. Well, let's go back a minute. My dad's generation, the World War II generation. Dad's 94, drives to work every day in our family-owned business in his three-piece suit with his cane and his Lincoln Continental, right? Keeps me and my brother and sister from scrapping. And um And and dad's generation, the World War II generation, was the best one ever. You could beat them, kick them, scream at them, cuss them. They'd come back to work because they knew what the depression was. They remembered bread lines. Well, thankfully, they're all chasing golf balls or doing something better than than that now. But the boomers inherited a lot of that work ethic and lack of work-life balance from their World War II parents. Uh, And then we move to their kids, which are the millennials. So oftentimes we forget that boomers, by and large, created the millennials, right? Gen X is in the middle. They're the middle child. <clears throat> and the way millennials got raised was pretty much this. They were home all day long playing Nintendo while mom and dad boomers were out working an eight to nine hour a day job. And millennials have been quoted saying, I watched mom and dad drag in at nine o'clock every single day of my life. I will never do that to my kids. I will work to live as a millennial because boomers lived to work. Mm -hmm. So that being raised by Nintendo you know, when you play Nintendo, ding, 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 you are reinforced your behavior 200 times a minute. That means that the millennials are the first generation that grew up force-fed positive reinforcement and feedback, zillennials even more so. And so this is the generation that demands positive reinforcement, whereas boomers were like, suck it up, buttercup. You know, you need the job, keep keep showing up. So I'm excited about the fact that our new generations are going to require a whole lot more feedback interaction reinforcers than previous ones were ever given. Um, I hope they get it because you know clearly if they don't they're gonna quiet quit you work two jobs from home you'll never know a lot of lot of dynamics there
0: so I'm curious when you go into help a client or work with a company. Kind of curious what that looks like. I mean, do you just come in and pontificate and move on, or do you help them develop and implement systems uh, for improvement? Um, You know, when you go into a company, do you find sometimes there's low-hanging fruit that they can immediately uh, make some changes, or is it always more of a long game? Um, Just kind of tell us a little bit what that looks like as you work with your clients.
2: Sure. Um, You know, I I always say, and and for those that, you know, are interested in learning more, I'm going to say the best go-to spot for me is uh, beyondzeroinjuries.com. Just spell it out, beyondzeroinjuries.com. You can see a keynote there. You can, you know, learn about the book, learn about what I do. But, But I always say I do three things, basically. First thing is, the book and the keynote. Green beans and ice cream and the keynote might be any one of a number of different titles. What makes a great leader great? Or and and you know, I, I always say that first ro- that first rock is to help a leadership team in either a virtual keynote or an in-person come to an awakening that there is this thing called positive reinforcement. We probably need to be a little bit better at it and more purposeful. And, and, um, and, 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 maybe we want to explore this further. And for those companies that hear that message and they say, yeah, I want to know more, then it could make sense to develop into some sort of ongoing, um, training for leaders in this, in this field. My nickname for that is SEAL. So I create SEAL leaders, safety, engagement, and servant leadership, right? SEAL. And, um, the idea behind seal is how do you go from good to great as a, as a leader at home with your kids and your spouse and at work? Um, what separates good leaders from great? What made Paul O'Neill at Alcoa great? George Washington, president Zelensky in the Ukraine, fantastic lab case study of great leadership. Right. And, and so how do you do that? And, and, What does that look like? And that's a huge part of it. You really have got to teach your leaders how to do this because here's how your supervisors became supervisors and your project managers became project managers. They were the guy who could dig the ditch the hardest, the fastest of anybody else. And someday, some, one day somebody taps them on the shoulder and says, Hey, tomorrow you're a supervisor. Did we give them any training? Nope. And, and soft skills training, soft skills are the tough skills, right? That's the number one. Ditch digging, I can teach you that, right? You either got it or you don't. But this soft skills stuff is what we're not teaching. In safety leadership, we're not teaching. So that's really the void we fill. Now, you know, how many times have you been to a conference or a workshop and you loved it, right? I score five out of five with my attendees. But you went back Monday morning and you went right back to what, your email box is overloaded. Workshops by themselves do not change behavior. Consequences change behavior. And so that's where we work with companies to develop tools to measure the following four things. And I would argue that measuring the following four things is more important than measuring how quickly you're building a building or how many yards of concrete got poured, right? Here you go four critical things companies are not measuring, but should be. Number one, measuring your risk culture, which is different from your safety culture. All these safety perception surveys, agree, disagree. They're pencil whip jokes, right? That have very limited measurement because they're telling you what you want to hear. What we need to be doing is measuring what they do when we're not watching. That's a measure of risk culture. And we have a unique tool that does that. I partnered with Dr. Corey Pitzer on it. Number two, we have to be able to measure safety leadership behaviors from the C-suite to the front line in the, in the trenches, right? And, and number three, we need to be able to measure positive reinforcement as it flows through the culture, minute by minute, real time, enterprise wide, employee by employee. I hold a patent in how to do that. Because if you can't measure these things, you cannot manage these things. And these things matter more than how many boards got nailed today or how many yards of concrete got poured. Um, That is my passion. And, and, you know, the interesting thing, the amazing thing is we've implemented at construction company, after construction company, manufacturing all these industries. And usually we get 50% reduction in workers' comp costs, sometimes more. 40 to 50% reduction in vehicle crashes, sometimes more. Um, so are they walking the talk? Are they delivering the positive reinforcement they should be? Uh, without a measurement system, it was a great workshop, but it's flavor of the month. And that applies to any, you know, any training system out there. If you don't have consequences to back it up, follow, follow through, you, you, you wasted your time.
0: When you say consequences change behavior, are you talking about good consequences or bad consequences?
2: Excellent and insightful question. Consequences can be positive for the employee. Uh, They can be negative. They can be punishing. Um, Consequences can be immediate. They happen within 10 seconds or less or delayed. They happen a lot longer than 10 seconds after the baby. So they're very, very limited in, in their impact. They can be, um, they can be certain. I know it will happen every single time, or they can be uncertain, right? And human beings have this, we have this really interesting system for decoding consequence potentials and it, and it affects our behavior. Let me give you just perhaps a simple example, right? Um, A worker is working on a conveyor belt on a construction site with aggregate that comes up, the conveyor belt drops over to another place, right? Maybe they're, they're moving aggregate around a construction site. And he's working on this conveyor belt, watching the aggregate move and a very large piece of rock drops in the wrong angle and jams that conveyor belt. Now, the worker has been told by the safety department, if that conveyor belt jams, don't you ever reach in to unjam it. We want you to walk 45 minutes to the kill switch round on the other end of that conveyor belt where our management system conveniently located it for you hit the kill switch, lock it out. Then and only then do you unjam it and, and and attempt to unjam it. Now this worker, before he got his arm ripped off, which he will in a minute in my story has learned that 199 times he can reach into that conveyor belt, unjam it. He's faster than the belt. He's Uh done it 199 times. You see people rehearse for injuries at least a couple hundred times till they get it right and get hurt. Right. Uh And so, Reaching into that conveyor belt, he's learned, you know what? I don't have to make a 45-minute walk to hit the kill switch. I get more work done quicker, uh, more production done. When we get more work done quicker, what does our boss man on a job site usually say, Todd? Job well done. Beer's on me. Come on out, Ryan. (laughs) I Beer and pizza on me, boys. So hold on a minute. Did that leader just positively reinforce the unsafe at-risk behavior of that worker. Yeah, because the consequences for doing the unsafe thing in most cases, in most every case, every company, every place on the planet, the consequences for doing the wrong thing are are screwed up from what we want to be. They're positive, immediate, and certain. Uh, I get the job done quicker. I get a pat on the back from my boss man, and I didn't get hurt. Now, the consequences for doing the job um, and taking that little risk, there are some negative consequences. I might get hurt, but 199 times I haven't. And so now people begin what we call drift, the normalization of deviation. It's a hop term. And and so um, they do it again and again and again until finally that that deviation from perfect human performance intersects the red fatality line. And now we have an amputation or or a fatality, right? So consequences drive behavior. And, you know, that's why t-shirts don't drive behavior. It's, it's not something people want. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that helped or if I lost you guys. No, or, it does.
0: Like, yeah, no, it really does. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious too. I mean, do you ever go into an organization and find that, There are cultural or systemic things going on that actually discourage this idea of positive reinforcement, Um, and and if so, how do you help a company address
2: those things? Yeah, all the time. Positive reinforcement is the single greatest thing you have to master become to become a truly great leader. And I always say, you know, it's like it's like a Thor hammer, right? You know, it's like the Marvel Universe Thor character, right? But ninety nine percent of leaders don't know where their Thor hammer is, don't know how to use it. it, it uh. It's rusting out in the garage. It is the least utilized tool in corporate America, global global corporate, whatever that is, if this is a global group. And, um, and so, yeah, there are most companies run on negative reinforcement, punishment, and penalty. They're devoid of positive reinforcement. And so we have to overcome a lot to get this to work but it works it's it's yeah. not it's science man it's not it's not me sitting here telling you and 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 there also are system created barriers to safety um we call these the world of hop would call them latent precursors so i get a practical example we're interviewing employees on the front lines of a pest control company and you know pest control workers it's a young man's job. You're usually 20 to 22. You're driving all day in your truck. You got 32 stops. You got to crawl in attics underneath crawl spaces. You got bug bites, spider bites, snake bites, dog bites. Fall through the attic, and then when you're in the truck, you might you might be getting. Hey, don't use a cell phone. Corporate policy don't use it. But your your front office says, hey, Miss Miss uh, Green says she's got mice. And she's screaming, can you, can you deviate over there and, and take care of the mice for her? And so what are they going to do? They're going to take the cell phone call. So all kinds of system problems. But one of the things we found with this pest control company, a lot of slips and falls, we asked the workers, why is that? They said it's the booties. Well, can you bring a booty in? The little booties they put around their muddy boots to go in Mrs. Smith's house and not track up her white carpet have been bought by purchasing with no tread. So you can ice skate across those Charleston, hard of pine floors. No wonder they had problems. So there are latent precursors created in the system by the at-risk behaviors of the management team leaders. And those are combined in a perfect storm with knowingly or unknowingly at-risk behaviors of the workers. And when they all come back together, boom, now we got somebody hurt.
0: Very interesting. Any major differences, you know, from your perception between working with big companies and small companies, um, or
2: does it just depend upon the individuals? You know, I've, I've done consulting work with small companies. I've done it with big companies. Um, I don't do implementations with small companies. I mean, I can give them some suggestions, and sm- by small, I mean, you know, under a couple hundred. Um, but I, but I but I'm happy to do you know consulting for them and I don't I don't know that there's a big difference except maybe in small companies, B- big companies become big companies for one one and only one reason, they have an incredibly profitable product that has wide space demand in the market, and a profitable product with wide space demand can cover a multitude of sins, mm. right, and gotcha. so you become a big company that way. Small companies don't have that luxury. Um, They live on the razor's edge. So I don't see as much um, waste. So the opportunities are probably bigger and bigger companies. The bigger you are, the more stuff that's happening that you don't know about that your employees are doing or that your leaders are doing that's affecting your performance.
0: So let's talk about leaders a bit. I know one of your keynotes is what makes a great leader. Great. Can you just give us some idea of what that might be?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And we've dabbled on it in this conversation uh, already, but I'll, I'll try to, you know, try to frame that up for you. So, so Disney world bought my book. Um, that was a great day. 300 copies of green beans and ice cream. Hey, Bill, you're now required reading for all of our leaders. Um, I'm told UPS did. That's a huge honor. Um, and, and then, you know, I was like, hey, Disney bought my book on leadership, green beans and ice cream. That's cool. And then I get this phone call, and they said, we want you to come teach us a workshop for a 100 of our Disney World leaders on leadership. And I'm like, oh, no. And the reason I'm like, oh, no, is Disney has their Disney Leadership Institute. Right. This is what you're all about, to- supposedly. Oh, yeah. Um, get your boss. To send you down there for five days because your boss is going to drop five grand on that. Right. And, uh, and and I'm like, who am I to teach Disney anything about leadership? These guys have a freaking five day course. You know, I got I got maybe 10 hours of content. If you ain't figured it out by 10 hours with Bill Sims, you ain't going to get it, son. I don't need to, to, to waste any more time with you. And uh, so I go down and I do like a half day course and I'm really nervous and it goes great. Right. Um, and they said there was a lot of things that dovetail with their model, but there are a lot of things their model doesn't have. One thing their model is missing is safety leadership. Mm-hmm. That's important. Um, and what that means and what that is. And I'm very passionate about it. But back to the ranch. So I'm sitting there in the contemporary hotel, and we run this exercise with these people in the room. And I, and I pop up a picture of George Washington at Valley Forge. And we talk a little bit about. How he went from being considered a weak general, a loser, that Congress wouldn't even send him money for troops, to, to being this truly great leader. And we we run a little exercise with, the, with the, the class. I do it every time I do a workshop. So much fun. I say, all right, let me split you into teams. I want you all to come up with eight to ten core traits of great leaders. And I give them three to five minutes, and then they come back, and we put all of that up on the, the board, the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And these are things like vision, ethics, empathy, integrity, servant leadership, you know, we put that up there on the board, right? And then we talk a little bit about some of those that are, I think, stellar and extremely outstanding attributes that make great leaders great, right? because uh, that's the premise. Well, how do you go from good to great? How did George Washington do that? And, and, and then, um, you know, after we got some clarity there, we, we say, you know, by the way, this is the list from Disney. Here's the list from Boeing and here, oh, here's my webcam. webcam's going to zoom in and out. Let me get it. Go back. There you go. Uh, here's the list from Boeing. Here's the list from Marathon Oil down in Africa when I was there. Here's here's a Ramco's list. And oh wait, they're all amazingly similar. So apparently, you guys, wherever I go on the planet, can build a list of what makes great leaders great. And then we say, but none of you, not even Disney, ever really got the answer to this question. No team ever does, right? What truly makes great leaders great, and, and I'm not going to spoil the secret on this because, you know, I want your, your clients to call me up <laughs> and bring me in, but, but I'm going to give you some clues. Um, what makes great leaders great, like George Washington, Paul O'Neill, and President Zelensky, they create a culture of commitment where people give discretionary effort, more safety, more quality than they normally would without the leader present. That's how you go from people show up and they give you a fair day's work for a paycheck most of them not all but most. Your job is not to get paycheck performance. Your job is to get world class performance. And the only way you get them there, the only way George Washington did it, the way Zelensky's doing it right now, Putin's not, Zelensky is. Interesting, you know, night and night gay uh-huh. comparison. The way they get that is through a secret hidden superpower. Every one of the leaders that comes into my class has it, but 99% of them don't have a clue what it is, nor do they know how to use it, right? What is that hidden superpower? It's R+, positive reinforcement. Hmm. The single greatest consequence great leaders use and the one most leaders are unaware of, tragically, and never use. Um, And and my job is to teach your leadership team and you how to master, become a master Jedi in the use of positive reinforcement. I know what that looks like. My 94-year-old dad has done it on me. I'm the lab rat. So, you know, I've I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt.
0: Well, Putin seems to be good at negative reinforcement, so we kind of see the flip side of it. But uh, yes, interesting stuff.
2: Yeah, and, and Prigozhin, uh was a bit duped. Uh, I saw a recent interview with him from Africa, and he was quite complacent, you know, how safe he was, and he was fine, and he was doing his job, and it was not long after that that he met his end in a very yeah. purposefully spectacular way.
0: Yeah. So, I'm kind of curious, what what do you love about what you do, Bill?
2: Oh, man, there's so much I love about it. Um I don't like delayed flights. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't like motel room beds. Um, I love Zoom. Uh, you know, that's my favorite. No, I think I think it's, it's when leaders, when the lights click on in their head and when people come up to me after a session and say, you'll never know. But let me tell you, this is the best training I've attended my whole life. This changed the way... I look at life. I was never raised like this. My parents spent their whole time telling me and still do what I do wrong. I never knew you could lead people a different way, right? And it's when they get that happy moment and they connect with that, you know, that's probably moment number one. And then moment number two, when they leave my workshop, as Alan Pridemore did at GE Appliances and went out and implemented. Just some very simple things that I teach, and he doubles or triples productivity of people building appliances. Wow, that's rewarding. Or when stuff. when we implement and we, we we see a ten to one differential in safety performance uh, from employees who've had positive reinforcement versus those who haven't. Um, those things, uh, th- those things are why I keep doing this.
1: Well, I gotta say, Bill, you've certainly made A topic that I would normally not have any interest in, very interesting to me, and I can see why people that attend your workshops and stuff, you know, love it so much. I've I've heard this phrase before, and I can't remember where I heard it, but it's something like a a safety unicorn.
2: Have you heard that at all, or
0: can you expand
2: on that a little bit? Yeah, I'm going to be presenting on safety unicorns in New Orleans for National Safety Councils, not ASSP, um, but I will be with National Safety Council, and I encourage everybody to, to, to join me there. I teach a, a one-day course, pro bono, free for them. Uh, they'll, of course, charge you. Uh, and I think that's October 22nd in New Orleans, Sunday, eight hours. But there's going to be some gumbo at the end, maybe a cold adult beverage, who knows. And then I teach a one-hour course on safety unicorns uh, on the 23rd Monday before I fly to Toronto. And so here's the deal. Safety unicorns, what are they, right? Um, why do they matter? Um, and, you know, how do you create more more of them, right? And so um, I, I did a little research ahead of my presentation. It's all, an all-new keynote. And unicorns are defined as being highly desirable and difficult to obtain, right? So All right, so here's a few attributes of what safety unicorns do for your business. On the front lines and as supervisors, they put safety first no matter what. They do the right thing, whether you're there as a safety person watching them or not. Hopefully, you have a safety committee loaded with safety unicorns. Hopefully, you don't have any cave people on your safety committee because they are citizens, again, against virtually everything cave people. So they're the, they're the they're the opposite of your unicorns, right, the cave people. But if you got unicorns, they energize your safety committee. In the moment of choice when you're not watching, they look out for their coworker. They are their brother or sister's keeper. And safety unicorns like Paul O'Neill at the C-suite level put safety before profits. And here's another thing they do. They grow and mentor other safety leaders, right? So, how do we create safety unicorns? What is the unicorn factory? Uh, I'll talk about that. And then, what is the unicorn, the flip side, the dark side here? What's the unicorn glue factory look like, right? So, what are the things that leaders do? that essentially takes all the unicorns and ships them off to the glue factory. So all you got left are your cave people. And that the, the key there, the clue there, is the caveman CEO. Uh, all of these are based on true stories. So, I mean, I can drill down if we have time into, into more of that uh, if you want to. But um, just strategically, how do we get and grow more safety unicorns? And how do we get rid of our cave people, whether they're C-suite leaders or mid, mid, mid-level leaders or frontline workers, right? It's a battle between unicorns and cave, cave, cave people. Very
0: interesting. Yeah. Well, it it would be great to have you back on the show sometime, and we'll kind of pick yeah. pick up on that. Take yeah, good notes because um, I have no clue what we talked about. You know, I see it, <laughs> it's like tension span of a gnat. Yeah, that sounded good. Okay, move on. Did we really talk about
2: that? Fortunately,
0: fortunately, we have a solid recording, so that's good. So okay, I, good. I do have to touch on one thing, though. You said uh, you hate a uh, hotel. Um, Beds. I got to tell you, if there was a hotel chain that came out and said that they have the world's most comfortable heating and air conditioning system in their rooms, and that was all they would have to say, they would get my business every night I'm on the road.
2: So anyway, yeah, hundred percent. You got. uh, Listen, you know, uh, let's start a hotel company. Best HVAC and mattress on the planet, and I guarantee you. We'll have 100% occupancy every night from road warriors. That's all they got to
0: worry about. I agree. Hey, Bill, this has been very informative, been a great conversation, a lot of fun. Um, we're kind of close to wrapping up what we call the business end of things. Anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to work in today?
2: Um, no, man, I think I thank you guys for what you're doing in the world of safety. Um, you know, I, I, I'll tell you what Dan Peterson told me when, when he shook my hand before he passed away. He said, uh, you'll never know how many lives you save. And I think that's true of you guys uh, and what we're doing here and all safety professionals. We'll never know how many lives we save. That's the the lot in life of a safety leader. So thanks to all the safety leaders on this call. I, I always say safety leaders, you are the last conscience of business without you. Every business just has no conscience, no heart, no soul. It's not easy. It's hard, but don't give up. You know, so I, I, I encourage safety leaders to continue on that path. Other than that, I think we've covered it. you know if they want to know more about me beyond zeroinjuries.com, head out there, check me out. Um, come see me at NSC uh, or some of the other events that I'll be you know doing um, over the next year or so. But it's been a privilege and an honor to be with you guys and, and once again, thank you for for your time and having me here.
0: Well, thank you, and we actually do have one more part of the show. So we do something at the end of every show, um, if our guest is willing, and don't be the dollard who isn't willing to do it. So far, everyone has. Uh, (laughs) We do something called our rapid fire questions. So these are seven questions that we ask you. Some are serious, some are silly. Um, All you got to do is give a quick response. You have no idea what we're going to ask. Are you up to the challenge of rapid fire? I
2: I may need an adult beverage here, but uh, (laughs) I'm going to say, yeah, go for it. Lay it out there, dude. Let's do it. Well, we will alternate
0: asking. Ryan, you want to ask the first question? Absolutely. Question number one, have you purchased
1: a product or or service recently that was kind of a real disruptor or game changer in your life? Something that kind of made you say, wow, where has this thing been all my life?
2: Yeah, I just bought a robot lawnmower. (laughs)
1: Did you really? uh,
2: That sucker's four-wheel drive and I ain't got to cut the grass anymore. He does. So, uh, so that's that's uh you know that's that's my latest uh, gadget or toy uh and uh, and I'm 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 pretty happy with that. What
1: brand is it? Can I ask?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I'm currently well, okay. I've been through four of them to find the right one. Okay. <clears throat> so the Amazon guy and I are on first name basis. I'm like job security for him. Yep, that one's going back. Bring me the new one. Um, I, I tried I tried the Echo Flow Blade. I loved it but it just didn't cut the mustard. So two of those died and went back to, you know, um, their maker. Uh, Now I'm on something from Amazon called Mamotion, M-A-M-M-O-T-I-O-N. And I am testing that one. I have pretty good confidence in that one. But the one I'm really, really looking forward to is uh, Made in Germany. Um, because German engineering right you know you you can't you can't beat it um and and that one's by cress uh, and so that one I, I look forward to trying so you know check check with me in about three months and i'll I'll be the definitive expert in latest technology on robot mowers
1: well I was just gonna say it's kind of interesting that the guy that talks about safety is trusting a robot with a spinning blade <laughs> to cut
2: his grass. <laughs> Hey, really? hey, listen, you know what I'm gonna be doing <laughs> Sunday is flyboarding, dude. You ever done that? On the big jets of water, you do the Iron Man thing out of the water? Oh yeah.
1: no. I would love to though. Google flyboarding. It's a trip yeah. until you yeah. fall. Then it's not. I've seen
0: that before. Fall. Cool. Cool. Okay, question number two. What was the first car you ever drove? Please tell me it was a Corvair. Oh uh, yeah, no. yeah. What yeah, was yeah. the
2: first car you ever drove? Oh man, my first car uh is probably my dad's Banana yellow Cadillac sedan DeVille, wow, and uh, banana yellow <clears throat> seats, and of course designed with GM planned obsolescence, so that things began falling off six months in, so your dad would trade it out for a new one. Um, that was probably that was probably car number one. Short, in and and I didn't want to be caught dead in that thing, man, with my friends. So I managed to uh, paint my mom's house uh, she needed somebody to paint the house and she paid me $3 and 25 cents an hour. That was minimum wage back in the seventies. And I saved up the down payment for a Jeep golden Eagle V8 engine, soft top, uh, flaming Eagle on the hood. Oh yeah. Big old nice. headers. I put them in myself nice. and, uh, and that was, that was a ride, man. I had fun with that vehicle. <clears throat> Good stuff. Awesome.
1: Question number three, do you prefer the top or bottom half of a bagel?
2: (laughs) The top, where all the good stuff is.
0: Question number, that's my answer too. Question number four. That's the right answer. That's that's the right
2: answer. (laughs) So
0: when one sits down to eat green beans with ice cream, do you put the ice cream on top like a scoop on top of apple pie or you put the green beans on top sort of like sprinkles on top of ice cream?
2: Yeah. You know, we've, we've, we've struggled with that, how to do that. In fact, this shot on the front of my book was shot by a photographer, pretty notable Richard Brown up in Asheville. I guess Richard's still around and and he actually put mashed potatoes on frozen green beans. So if you got to make the shot, that's how we do it. Um, but I, I recommend if you're serving up green beans and ice cream. Uh, scoop some scoop there you go. Thanks. Thanks for keeping the faith. Scoop of vanilla ice cream. I like the little French uh, green beans that go in there. Uh I mean if you wanted to if you wanted to really get crazy out there, go ahead and 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 roll those suckers in some powdered sugar or stick it in some honey and stick it in there. And I think, you know, then maybe I could tough down one or two of them. I still struggle with green beans, but I'm 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 good. Ice cream (laughs) is not. That might not be terrible. <laughs> the Japanese, believe it or not, somebody told me, have a green bean flavored ice cream. I haven't tried it yet, but that's on my list, bucket list. Going uh, to Tokyo and going to eat it, green bean ice blue.
1: cream. Yep, that's I would right. try it. I would try it. Okay, next question. This one's a little more serious. What would you like to be remembered for at the end of your days? Man, that's that's
2: deep, dude. Um, you know, there, there's, there are a lot of things, right? Yeah. Um, Doing the right thing uh, the the way my creator expects me to do it is probably number one, figuring out what that is and and being able to pull that off. Um, Doing the right thing, making the hard right decision rather than the easy wrong decision. Hmm. And along the way, if you're going to change the world, I believe you got to ruffle some feathers. So, ain't everybody going to like you and ain't everybody going to agree with you? That's okay. Good answer. Okay.
0: Next to last question. Okay. Would you prefer to have to sing or to have to dance along with every song that comes on the radio?
2: Man, I tell you, you know, my wife, she'll tell you she can dance, but I can't dance, right? So I'm typically on the dance floor in a chair, and she'll dance around me. That's about as much dancing as I do. Um, I I actually differ, d- disagree with that. I think on, on snow skis, I'm pretty good. I got rhythm, right? You know, you just watch me on that. But um, short of being in a chair, snow skis, dancing is probably not my strong suit. Now, I think, you know, singing, I'm all right. Uh, my wife, you know, says her ears bleed. So I, I may have to say that either way, you guys are – probably don't want to see either one of those <laughs> things happen. But uh but I'd have to go with singing over dancing.
0: Either way those around you are in for a painful
2: experience it sounds like. I recommend <laughs> uh yeah take wear your PPE. Get get ready.
1: <laughs> okay, final question. What non-family person have you been continuous friends with the longest?
2: Non-family member friends with. Well, I got I got I got two buddies. Uh, I got a buddy named Marvin Benford. I've known him my whole life. Uh, I got another buddy named Steve Irwin known him my whole life, literally, you know, 55 plus years. Uh, so I I'd I'd have to put those guys up there and I'm probably forgetting, uh, you know, that's the longest, right. But I've got, I've added a collection of a good half dozen other friends that are, the guys I'd want with me in the foxhole, you know, they're the guys where any one of them would jump on the grenade to save the other. And, um, that they're, they are, um, a a wonderful group of people. Uh, if I had to, you know, if I had to look out there, uh, by the way, Steve, yeah. So there you go. I guess I answered the question maybe. Right.
0: Great answer. That's good. Good to think about that stuff. So, again, folks want to get with you. It's beyondzeroinjuries.com. Do I have that right? Yes, sir.
2: You got it. Awesome.
0: Well, we will have that in the show notes as well. So thank you again so much for joining us. It's been a blast and uh, very informative. And I want to thank our audience for tuning into this very special episode of Construction Disruption with Bill Sims Jr. of the Bill Sims Company based in Columbia, South Carolina. So please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We're always blessed with great guests, just like Bill. Um, Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, Keep on disrupting. Keep on challenging the status quo. Keep on looking for better ways of doing things out there. And don't forget to have a positive impact on everyone you encounter Uh, make them smile encourage them Um, simple yet powerful things that we can all do so in the meanwhile God bless and take care this is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of construction Disruption. this podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products